Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I knew what I was going to do was going to be very special with my life. I'm an example just to show people that like, you come up from nothing. Prince had dedicated his whole legacy to celebrating women, celebrating women of color, and celebrating positive music. I'm going to uphold that. You're your own worst critic. I feel like you should be it anyways, but I, I'm always that, and I was just hating my song, so I was hating myself. Some people are at their cubicle job right now making way less than us. Some people are across the world in a goddamn sweatshop making like nothing a day, and we're getting paid to sing and dance. To sing and dance, that's a blessing. Artists out here, they're just willing to settle for anything. You know what I mean? And once you're willing to settle for anything, you deserve anything you settle for. Yo, this young murder. Yo, this is Lizzo. This is August Regal. What's good? It's Kehlani. This is your man, Blake Carrington. You're listening to The Come Up Show. Get inspired. Hey, welcome to The Come Up Show podcast. My name is Cheddar. I'm the host and founder of The Come Up Show. My guest today is Gabriel Garzon Montano from Brooklyn, New York. When he released his debut EP in 2014, he was invited out on a road by the rock legend Lenny Kravitz as direct support for his tours across Canada. And then the day after playing Wembley Arena, Gabriel got a call notifying that his song 6-8 would be sampled by Drake on his full-length album. If you're reading this, it's too late. The rest, as they say, is history. In our interview, we talked about his musical upbringing. His mother was a member of the Philip Glass Ensemble in the 1990s. The three CDs that he bought from a dollar bin that changed his life and so much more. Gabriel Gazan Montana on the Come Up Show podcast. Let's go! Please introduce yourself. Hello, I am Gabriel Garzon Montano, or Garzon Montano, and I'm from Brooklyn. I play instruments, I write songs, and I sing, and we're here to inspire and to be vulnerable. Let's go. Welcome to Toronto. Thank you. Tell me your history. First time here or you been here? It's my first time. Okay. It's first time, I guess, with these eyes. I was here when I was like 13 years old, mm. um, really briefly for like a day. And yeah, this is my first time. So that doesn't really count. Right? Yeah, this is my first time asking questions and poking around. And I've only been here since 1 p.m. So. Are you leaving soon, tomorrow? or? Yeah, at 11 in the morning. Wow, you going on tour? Um, yeah, I'm gonna go. go gotta go home. Gotta move. I'm moving into a new place, and then on Sunday, I'm gonna we're gonna go out to uh, to Switzerland. Is this is this your first headlining tour, like the internationally? I guess. No, we've done we've done a European tour headlining, and uh, and yeah, this is my first time playing in Toronto. Period. But you've been on tours in terms of opening up for people as well too. Uh, Lenny Kravitz was one of them. Yep. Which is like stadium status. Exactly. Uh, but you said you don't really want to do stadiums anymore. 
in terms of the sound that you're doing right now, right? Is that correct? Um, unless it's at the right volume, it doesn't really translate. Um, but yeah, I mean, f for I don't I don't really think I have stadium jams at the moment, uh, and I'm, I'm I'm happy to play in the clubs I'm playing in. What did you get and learn from that experience opening up for Lenny Kravitz on what twenty dates? Yeah, um, well. Lenny had a routine before his shows and I hadn't quite established that type of um, upkeep and just um, learning how to just relax and focus your energy. Things that I think come easily to some people. Mm -hmm. I, I found myself very excited, very nervous and uh, my energy was all over the place. So... Um, what would a routine consist of if you... He, he, he had a humidifiers in his dressing room. He had a, a personal humidifier that he... Um, where he inhaled the steam, which is something I do now, and just constantly sipping water. Um, no alcohol, no smoking. And, yeah, he, he would exercise and, and, then, and then start vocalizing, like maybe two, three hours before the show. And so that's usually what I try to do. I try to have nobody in the dressing room before the show. I'm making an exception for you. Thank you. Yes. So the hum humidifier humidity is like what? To warm up the vocal cords or what is that for? To make them humid. When they're dry, they don't function correctly. Mm. <clears throat> it's like an athlete not stretching. Mm. Yeah, because I've interviewed, who was it? Melanie, Melanie Fiona when I was in her tour bus. It was super hot before the show. Like It was really hot. Uh, I didn't know why it was so hot. Uh, and I think that, That's yeah. to loosen up the body and, and also the vocal cords and to keep everything warm. Okay. So you've taken some of those practices, like... Okay. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I, I know, I've noticed that as well, too. That's a common thing where artists before the show don't want to see anybody, no guests, no family, no whatever. Let me get in my zone, and then after the show, whatever. Yeah. Is that, that's what you're doing, too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I'll make sure that I'm not wasting, <laughs> wasting your time today and make this interview worthwhile. Uh, I know your parents were musicians, Tell me what it was like growing up in your family. Like, uh, are you the only child, siblings, and what it was like growing up as a young kid? I have a younger sister named Luna. My dad's a uh, cartoonist and, and a painter and an artist, and my mother was a mezzo-soprano who played cello, saxophone, piano, um, hand drums, frame drums. And um, she sang a lot of, like, church gigs where they were doing Handel's Messiah or, or Bach, um, masses or the passion and um also doing like new music like new avant-garde classical stuff in the city and growing up was um well my parents split up when i was five so after a while we were going between two houses and um it was it was it was uh growing up felt like walking through a poem it was amazing it was my mother was making music and my, my dad was doing his thing, and we, we copied them, and we sang with our mom, me and my sister. We started playing instruments early on. Mm. And um, we traveled when my mother was on the road with Philip Glass. We would go with her, and so we saw the world with her, or certain parts of it. And, yeah, it was magical. It was pretty amazing. So sometimes when parents tell you hey you should learn the piano and they force you to take piano lessons and then you fall out of love with it what was that like the process like for you what did she say to you hey you should learn what she said i'm going to take you to this music school and um i want you to point to the instrument that you want to play mm. so we walked around and i looked in the classrooms and 
finally I saw a bunch of kids plucking their violins in the hallway, like, um, side, you know, n- not not holding the violin traditionally, just um, w- with the back of uh, the body to their chest like a guitar. And I said, I want to do that. And then before I knew it, I was standing up and bowing and, and learning about all that. Mm. And it was Suzuki method. So that's how it started. Mm. I was like six years old and then 12 years old, started playing guitar and drums and was on my Nirvana vibe, like rock and roll. living for rock and roll, grungy rock and roll. And then um, I heard Prince for the first time when I was 15. And then when I was 17, I heard Sly Stone for the first time. And then after that, everything really shifted. Yeah, so let's rewind a little bit. You're on a class trip to Arizona, and you see a dollar bin. You buy three CDs. What were those CDs? Uh, James Brown, 20 all-time greatest hits, Uh, P-Funk, greatest hits, and the Sly and the Family Stone anthology. And um, And when you bought the Sly and Family Stones, uh, the heavens opened up, you said. Yeah, when I heard Sing a Simple Song. Only when the groove kicks in. What was that experience like? Take me to that moment. That moment was um, I had my Walkman, my Discman, and I was walking on Coney Island on the boardwalk. And a bunch of our friends were out there, and we were riding the rides and doing our thing. And, um, and I decided to listen to some music as we were walking, I think, to a restaurant, like a Greek, or, no, a Russian restaurant. And, um, and yeah, and that tune came on. And um, sing a simple song. And when the groove hit, I just lost it with with the horns and with the whole arrangement. Um, I had just never really heard like chunky funk music like that. Uh, um, that was kind of like aggressive and had had a rock and roll vibe to it. I think my what I had heard was a lot slicker and just it it did it didn't have that intensity and. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorite moments listening to music ever. I was 17 years old. That changed the game for you a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't grow up listening to soul music, so my parents didn't show it to me. So I, when I found it and it hit me like that, those were crazy moments. Yeah. So you're listening to John Lennon, Radiohead, Jeff Buckley. You're high school. You're set on being a rock, a rock drummer. You're playing guitar, singing songs, but then you listen to Biggie, Ready to Die, and uh, Prince's Sing All the Times. Now, what, what was that influence like? Because Biggie, Ready to Die is completely different from what you're hearing right now, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean... And you're 15 around this time, I think. Yeah. I, I just loved his presence, his warmth, his personality. It felt like he was talking to me. I loved his humor. And... Um, and I, and I memorized the whole album, the, the whole Ready to Die album. And um, Prince was almost the opposite, like not at all a masculine presence, not at all um, imposing in the same way, just a different brand of, of mastery and, and, and flow. Mm. And they both have, they're both some of the funkiest people who ever did it. So um, yeah, those, those two influences came at the same time. I, or I discovered them at the same time. They unraveled themselves in front of me at the same time. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was like two sides of the same coin. One one being, like, chunky and, and, and large, and then the other one being pointy and precise and 
well, bo both with precision, but more sour. And I mean, Prince Princess Whole World is 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 a lot more unique. It comes from a more unique place, I think. Mm. More of a more of a social disobedience mm. than than Biggie, I think. Biggie definitely fit into your idea of what a what a young man was supposed to kind of come across as. But he also made fun of himself. He said he was a fat, like, he, you know, he kind of, like, he knew what he's, I guess, uh, you know, what his shortcomings or weaknesses at that time in terms of, you know, what type of artists are coming out and say, and he, you know, uh, pointed that out and then... Yeah. yeah. Out the blue, Frank White got sex appeal. Just used to go, ew. <laughs> yeah. Then you go to college and he started a 12-piece funk band. Yep. What happened with that? What did you learn from that? I, I learned how to make charts and how to, uh, how to run a rehearsal, how to book shows, how to call 11 people and find out when they were free in the week. That's a lot of people, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I learned how to f find um, places in my voice I hadn't explored before. I, I played a lot of rhythm guitar in that band and um, really explored pocket and, and, and how to throw a party. Mm. Yeah, but it's automatic party with 11 other people, whatever you guys do. Yeah. And yeah. the energy that attracts as well. It was a tremendous energy. What's up, guys? If you don't already know about Way Home, it's happening July 28th to the 30th, featuring Frank Ocean, Solange, Schoolboy Q, Russ, Danny Brown, Jazz Cartier, No Name, and so much more. It's happening July 28th to the 30th. Tickets and camping are now available at wayhome.com. Make sure you subscribe to our email newsletter as well, too, for more information. We got a huge contest coming up with Way Home Festival. So the debut album is pronounced... Um, Jardin or Jardin. Jardin. Yeah. Uh, and you recorded on tape. Uh, and you love the limitations that had on it. It was challenging to you. Tell me about why did you love those type of limitations? Well, I knew I wanted to make the record with Henry Hirsch, and that's just how he works. And um, I love his sounds. And um, I mean, for me, it was important, as much as it was important to have a lot of live instruments on it, it was important to make my tracks, too, and, and throw some beats on there to do things that I could, that I wasn't capable of performing. And that just are intended to be you know, a computer playing back a program beat. But where it was live instruments, I just, you know, I, my, my, my heroes made records that way. Marvin Gaye made records that way, the Beatles. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I wanted to be part of that tradition, to make, to make records the way they used to make them. Can you tell me about the process of being like front and center on this project? Your vocals, uh, you're saying, hey, I'm the guy. Hey, this is me. What's up? Uh, that is kind of also a challenge for you as well, too. And But you understood the value of that. Can, tell me about that. Well, yeah, it was challenging to decide to put my face on the on the cover like that. And I guess, um, yeah, writing pop music, I've, I've always written stuff that's a little more relaxed and and maybe melancholy. And so I made an effort to, to try to temper that with shit that was more... Um, they were a little, a little more insistent, more urgent, had a little more energy in it. But, um, but yeah, and I continue to look for that. Ultimately, though, that's all overthinking it. Uh, but I remember, I, m I remember that I've talked about uh, 
just trying to trying to come come out and be more direct and be more looking people in the eye and and uh, and yeah, yeah, n- n- not not being as vibey or as obscure or something, you know. But uh, at the end of the day, wh- whatever happens, and as long as it's beautiful, I'm gonna make it. So that's what matters. Milk and blood, so the funk is on ten. Never mind it now, I glow for you. I'm in the silo. said that you don't have the soul of a writer that your motivations are musical like lyrics are kind of challenging you go with the flow you're a musician obviously can you tell me about that um yeah i mean it's pretty simple lyrics are very hard for me very difficult to write and um and uh and yeah they take patience it's easy to write three lines that are great but then to fit them into a story and and then to yeah to to make a bunch of poems that each explore something specifically and that come full circle is difficult. People don't know how hard it is to actually write a song. Like a three-minute whatever. People don't realize. When I first went into the studio as a journalist and saw, like, yo, I didn't realize how hard it was to make a three-minute, 30-second song or whatever it is. They have no idea. The, the, main, the masses and the fans out there have no idea, do they? I don't think so, and I think a lot of people nowadays respond to um, to formulas, and they don't mind hearing um, the same things over and over. And and some people, different people, have different motivations when they're when they're working and writing. Um, and I'm definitely trying to come from an original place. So to discover what that means to me, or like what that really is, in in the content, is uh, that's in, that's interesting. Can you tell me about uh, you spent like years in your room? You're comfortable, you have all this equipment or whatever, but now you don't like recording in your own room? You like you'd rather be in a studio in terms of recording and making music? Is that true? I like I like coming up with material in my home studio and making the demos and, and, and just making sure the plan is correct. Yeah. But then when it comes down to it, I'm, I'd rather record at a place with an engineer and who's got proper mics and uh, <laughs> mic pre's and things like that, so... Uh, eventually, you got to take it to that level, obviously. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, different different parts of the record get... Um, I mean, the, the demos sometimes are just a reference, and sometimes they, they, they become part of the recording. And, and you just start replacing things until it sounds like a record. So, so we're here in Toronto, so I, I'd be remiss not to ask you this question. You probably know what's coming up. But your song 6A got sampled on Drake's Jungle. Uh, can you, how did that happen? Uh, how did that whole process happen? And tell me what followed after that. Um, yeah, I, I saw him at LAX, and I was like, "Hey, man, you need to hear my tape." Just kidding. Um, I'm glad that's not the truth because a lot of rappers would be trying to do that because they already tried to do that already. Yeah. No. Yo, listen to my music. Yo, here's my SoundCloud. Um, we have a mutual friend. Her name is Zoe, and she played him the record, and um, and he flipped out, and then a week later. Um, I was hearing Jungle 
a week later that quick yeah that means he was truly inspired yeah and you said that like you felt like your mental privacy was being invaded by drake because you're getting all these emails to say yo congratulations yo you should put out a social media campaign so on and so forth and drake was already everywhere and now like he's in your life really yeah yeah (laughs) there was definitely um i heard his name spoken a lot i heard him on the radio i heard him um outside my you know blasting from the cars Mm -hmm. yeah there was definitely like uh, when that mixtape came out he was like very ubiquitous culturally very on the tip of everyone's tongue so um and yeah, a lot of people were just coming out of the woodwork just to congratulate me on, on that, which was really sweet. Um, a bunch of people wanted to get coffee, you know. They wanted to talk about it. They wanted me to talk about it. And um, and I got bored of that. I think it's just a pretty natural thing to get bored of. So those people could say, hey, I talked to that guy. It was I had coffee. Yeah, the, the, you know the song? Yeah, I had coffee with that guy the other day. Yeah, maybe so. I, I think it was just exciting because... Um, Cause, cause I was just starting my shit, and then all of a sudden there was like the contact with, um, with this, with this real like, cultural presence, in Drake, and so it was just exciting to people that mm. that, no one, I didn't expect something like that to happen. So, cause people are always curious of like, okay, where does this come from? What sample? What's the inspiration behind this? So on and so forth. Especially in the internet age, people want to dig, 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 and say, oh yeah, this is from this, this is from here, or whatever. Uh, after that, other than people hitting you up, what, was there any like what were the advantages to that? Could you was there momentum? Was there could you use that or was there any like anything positive that came out of it? Yeah, I mean I think it's hard to track. It's not it, it, you know you know that X amount of people are finding you because of you know the streams on six eight went up. It's it became a really popular song, and um, and there's no doubt that I think the cosine. Um, it means a lot to people who who are looking to invest in young artists. So to to have to have a collaboration with Drake when you're just starting your career is, is a fantastic thing to have. Mm. I can't tell you what opportunity specifically yeah. came out of it. I just know that it was yeah. a good look, it's intangible, basically. Yeah. But you know, yeah, obviously it's a good look. Um, during this journey of pursuing whether it, be, whether it be the creatives or you personally, what would you say was like maybe uh, the most frustrating part or like the lowest moment in your creative journey so far? I think, um, well, because I'd create alone from production to lyrics to singing and everything, sometimes it's I can get stuck and, and, um, and I've... I've sometimes, I think, you know, I've I've gotten, my confidence has gotten low sometimes when things are taking too long or I don't feel like my ideas are, are worthwhile. Um, and, you know, it takes a great amount of, of pushing forward to, to, to get these things across. And so, um, yeah, just getting in my head is the biggest problem. It's, that's, that's the biggest obstacle. What do you do in those moments when you're just in your head and you're by you're by yourself in your room? Like, how do you get out of that? I have to cry and take deep breaths and uh, tell myself that everything's okay. And just keep them moving. Yeah, and I, you know, I have a beautiful woman in my life, and I call her. And she tells me to put my feet on the ground, to ground myself, to light a candle, to ask for help from the universe, drink some water, and uh, and that that I haven't figured it out yet, but but um. 
crying is healing, you know, and uh, going through those moments, it's um, it's part of life. So I think the the times I'm least happy with in my life are the times when I let um, small roadblocks become bigger than they are with through the power of my mind, as opposed to just letting letting the emotions pass through and then keeping it moving. It's easy, easy to add a like add your editorial voice as opposed to just letting things be what they are because some things are difficult and, and, and being an artist and trying to forge your own path without the help of a, you know a, of the machine so to speak the hit making machine and, and just to do that all by yourself is, is difficult and so um, and so yeah I think responding to difficulty and challenge and adversity is um is a skill some people have some people have really thick skin and they can see the long game and i consider myself one of them but the times that i've been least happy are the times when i allow roadblocks to become bigger than they are uh, i had one of my guests on uh, a few weeks ago her name was dynasty williams and she said that she was telling me a story where she was also crying she said i feel like when you cry she said when she when you cry you release, you're releasing that, whatever that thing is. Do you think that's true? Yeah. I think that, um, that crying is necessary for healing. So when you, when you experience negative thoughts or negative emotions that bring you to that point, or you just um, are, are thinking about trauma or things you've lost, or that... Um, the, yeah, it's 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 a it's a fundamental way of releasing that energy and and uh, of getting it out and um, it, it, it's like walking down the path that you're meant to to walk down. Everybody's got their own set of things that they have to work through, and if you don't if you don't talk about things and 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 use language to unlock them or 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 cry, then um, then then you can't release them. So it's a means of healing for sure. What is inspiring you? In anything, it doesn't have to musically like goosebumps. Like, oh, what is inspiring you right now in your life? Uh, James Baldwin. I'm reading Giovanni's Room, and um, and I and I finished The Fire Next Time recently, and um, his uh, his his thirst for truth and for putting things the way they are and for not being a sheep are incredibly inspiring to me. Okay, that's why his name carries on. That's right. Yeah. Anything else that you wanted to say to the people who are listening right now and discovering you for the first time? I, I, I used to wait for the storm to pass, and now I'm, I'm trying to learn how to dance in the rain. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk my shit. Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Blessings. Yo, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Gabriel Gonzaga Montana on the Come Up Show podcast. Make sure you check out his debut album, Jardin, everywhere you can get your music. If this is your first time listening to the Come Up Show podcast, make sure you subscribe, check out our catalog, and we're available on all platforms. And if you're hearing this in time, this today is your last day. The last chance that you have to enter our Way Home Festival. Over 500 people have already entered. I'm really excited to pick the winners for that. Thank you for listening. My name is Chet. I'll catch you on next Wednesday. Peace. Peace.